Now, we didn't, Dan and I were planning this series a number of weeks ago, actually before we got into the full middle of where we are now, but do you realize that God has put all of us in the middle of an amazing opportunity to show love to the people around us like Jesse was saying a minute ago? This whole situation with the coronavirus gives us a special opportunity to love others and to care for others. And so we need to hear from God. We need to be reminded and encouraged from what God says to understand how it is that we are to love others. So today is our second uh, sermon in the series from Romans where we're going to see some very specific ways what this godly love looks like. So if you would, follow along with me as I read our verses for today. Romans 12, verses 9 to 21. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it, is, it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now let me begin with what these verses are not. They are not a laundry list of things for you and I to add to our life. They're not a list of things that you and I can do that will make us good with God. Because there is nothing that you and I can do on our own that makes us good with God. The Bible is very clear that only God can reconcile our relationship with Him. In fact, only God can change us. Another thing that we see is that these things are not natural to us. When someone hurts us, we naturally want to avenge ourselves. We don't try to outdo each other showing honor. We don't naturally bless those who persecute us. So that's what these verses are not. These verses are a description of the character that God is building in each Christian. You know, I said earlier that the good news is that Jesus becomes what we are so that we can become what He is. And that's a process. It's a process that occurs over the lifetime of a Christian. Since none of these things are natural to us, they make it clear that the Christian life is also a life of transformation as God builds this into us. And then finally, these verses build a picture of Christian love and service. They show us in some very specific ways what it looks like. Now, before we go any further, I want to take a minute and talk about biblical love or agape love. The New Testament was originally written in Greek, and they had four different words that they used for love. There was a romantic love, 
a family love, a friendship love, and then this fourth one, agape. And the New Testament church borrowed that word and gave it new meaning. And I say this, talking about trying to talk about this agape love, because our culture uses the word love also a lot, but it doesn't mean what God says it means. So here's a definition that I got recently from a Paul Tripp post of love, in, in this case, agape love. Agape love is willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. Let's take a second and look at that. This love, agape love, is willing self-sacrifice. When you and I choose to love somebody, we are going to give time, some kind of effort, and maybe some kind of money that we could have used for something else for ourselves. But we're giving it. And this agape love is a willing love where we're choosing to do this. We're choosing to do good. And again, we have to be careful. We have to use God's definition of good and not our culture's because it has twisted what good is. But these last two parts especially, that love does not require reciprocation. All of us have understand this idea. I'll do something good for you if you will do something good for me. Agape love says, I'm going to do good to you regardless of what you do. And then the last part says, agape love says, I'm going to do good to you even if you're not deserving. <clears throat> Now that's a radically different picture of love. And God shows us what this love, this agape love looks like. God chose to love us. That is, He chose to do us good. God chose to provide for us. God chose to reconcile us to Himself. And He tells us in Romans, when we were strangers and enemies of His. So think about it. If God was just but not loving then we would all be condemned. Because all of us have turned away from God and disobeyed God, who's both our creator, he made us, and he's our king. But God is more than just just, he's also loving. And so God chose to do us good. So as we look at agape love, it is both a choice and a feeling. Our culture today focuses just on the feeling, and as it narrows it down so much, it ends up twisting it into something else so that we're driven by feelings. Agape love is a choice and a feeling, and you can think of it this way. The choice is like the engine of a train that moves it, and the feeling is like the caboose. The caboose doesn't drive the train. It's at the tail end. And all of the commands that we've looked at, that we're going to look at in our verses, requires to choose. Well, Christians can only love with agape love because God first loved us and gave us His Spirit. Because it's God's Spirit in us that actually enables us to love others with agape love. So Christians, as we're loving with this agape love, we're loving as people that have been shaped and are being shaped by God's goodness and His mercy and His love to us. Now rather than walk through these verses and the commands, and I counted at least 14 commands here, what I want to do is put them under three general headings. There are Verses that I put under the heading of love, of evil, and then harmony. So let's look at that first section, verses that I put under love. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Here Paul is saying, don't pretend 
to love and be a hypocrite. But recognize this. Agape love doesn't require that you must like the person you're doing good to or like what they're doing. You're making a choice to do good. But here's a caution. When, when our attitude, when your attitude and mine towards someone isn't loving, ask God to change your attitude. I heard a story a number of years ago about two ladies that lived in a small town and somehow they had been friends, but then one of them did something that offended the other. They ended up getting bitter, and, and that bitterness just grew. It grew to the point that if they were both in the same room, they would not talk to each other at all. If they're walking down the sidewalk and they saw each other, one would cross the street. so They wouldn't have to walk past each other. And this continued for a long time. Well, after a few years of this, one of the ladies realized, was convicted that this was not good, that her bitterness toward this other lady was not good. And so she went to her pastor and said, what do I do? I want to change, but I don't know how. And her pastor said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for this other lady. But he didn't just say pray, because that leaves things wide open. He said, I want you to pray that God would do her good. And the lady kind of took a step back. It's like, what? Because that was the last thing she was thinking of. But she decided, I, I, I want to get out of this bitterness. I'll see if this will work. And so it was very hard at first because as she would pray, she'd remember the things that the lady had said and done that had hurt her. But she persisted. And after a few weeks, she came to her pastor and said, God has totally changed my attitude. Yes, I was remembering these things, but as I continued to pray, I found all of a sudden, that I wanted God to do her good. And she was able then to go to this other lady and confess her own unkindness and bitterness and ask her forgiveness, and they were reconciled. So when your attitude and mind towards someone isn't loving, ask God to change your attitude. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Paul is writing to a church and churches are, by definition, the family of God. So as we're in a church and in a family, we've got brothers and sisters. And he's commanding us, work to be devoted to each other. Work to serve each other. To seek each other's, <clears throat> seek each other's good. Which again, which again isn't natural to us. And then he says to show honor. Sometimes you can get a glimpse of what the positive something is by looking at the negative. What's the opposite of showing honor and respect? Being disrespectful, being unkind, looking down on somebody else. And so when he talks about honor, he's saying, make a choice. Yeah, you might remember the things, places where they failed, but instead, choose to remember the good that they do. Choose to appreciate the contribution that they're making in your family, at work, wherever it happens to be. Choose that you're going to celebrate their victories. And the result, you end up honoring them. Then in verse 20, we get the second half of a command. The first half is a not, having to do with vengeance. And God says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For so, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, Paul is quoting from Proverbs. And even though that, that last part can be a little hard to look at, 
the Proverbs aren't saying, and Paul isn't saying, you know what? There's a way to get at this other person you don't really like. Do good to them. That'll hurt them. You know what? The motivation doesn't fit the action. Not with these verses. He's saying choose to do good. Choose to love somebody. In one sense, part of what this verse is saying is, you and I don't get to choose or disqualify somebody from being loved by us. We can't say, you know what, I have no obligation to love him because he's my enemy. God takes that off the table. He says, love your enemies. Do good to them. And remember this, and we, this again we see in Romans. God tells us that while you and I were enemies of God, God at great cost to himself forgave us, did everything needed to reconcile us to himself. And then verse 14, he says, bless those who persecute you. Paul repeats himself using different words. Because somebody who's persecuting you is acting as an enemy. And he says, bless them. Don't curse them. Don't look, look for vengeance. Bless them. And then verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. Saints are Christians. So he's saying help other Christians. Show hospitality to, to everybody around you. Well, how can you and I help other Christians unless we take the time to get to know them? Unless we take the time, as we've been encouraging you, to call and to see what's going on in their life so that you can pray for them and see ways that you could help them. So that's that first general heading of love. The second, evil. And just to be clear, God is against it. There's a story, and I believe it's true, about Harry Truman. Um, there was a situation, and I don't, they didn't explain what it was in the story, that he went to church, but his wife did not. So he comes home, and she asks him, what did the preacher talk about? Sin. Well, what did he say? He's against it. Well, God is against evil. God has no evil in his character. He doesn't have a dark side. And in verse 9, we're told, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. So he's saying, avoid whatever is evil, no matter how small it is. I think all of us have said to ourselves, maybe to others, you know, I'm not sure if I should do this. I really want to. And it's not the best thing to do, but, you know, it's only a little bad. He's saying, avoid whatever is evil. To abhor means to detest, to despise, that you and I want nothing to do with evil. And he says, instead, cling, cling to what is good. Then verse 17, repay no one evil for evil. Because all of us are born as selfish, sinful people, we all naturally want to hurt somebody who hurts us. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. Or I'm going to punish you because you got in my way of getting what I wanted. That's natural. But it doesn't stop there. We naturally, at times, enjoy hurting other people just because we can. And he's saying, no. Don't do evil. Don't repay evil for evil. <clears throat> I heard of a professor some years ago, Miroslav Wolf, not the usual American name, uh, and he has that name because he has had relatives in the Bosnia-Croatian War in the early 1990s. 
So he's not talking about that particular situation and what went on as somebody kind of disinterested and disconnected. He had relatives that died. And this was an ethnic war where one side would attack the other. <clears throat> Maybe some villagers were killed. So they would attack back and kill an entire village. And there was this escalating evil going back and forth. There were people that were uh, tried and convicted of war crimes because of what happened there. So a lot of evil going on back and forth. And Miroslav Wolf said, the only way to stop this pattern of escalating evil is to believe <clears throat> that God will ultimately bring justice and leave the justice to Him. If we don't think that God exists, or if we don't think that He's just, then if evil is done to us, we're going to want to repay evil for evil. And then in verse 21, he says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. In this case, to be overcome by evil means that you and I give in to evil. That you and I do evil ourselves. We return evil evil and he says no don't do that don't be overcome by evil overcome evil with good and we overcome evil with good when we trust God and when we depend on God when we obey God now in all of this Paul doesn't pretend that evil doesn't hurt he knows that he, that it does he knows personally that it does he's been falsely accused he's been beaten he's been stoned and left for dead he knows that evil hurts. But he says in verse 19, don't avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Now this is something that is not talked about that much in the modern Christian church. That God is just and he will have justice and that every wrong done ever will be punished either by us or by Jesus who stands as a substitute in our place. And thankfully for us, God also offers forgiveness. Now we come to our third major heading, harmony. In verse 16, we're told, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. God puts us in families, in schools, in work situations, in churches. He puts us in groups with other people. And harmony is more than just the absence of conflict. Harmony involves working together with similar goals, similar principles. And so he calls us, do your part to get along and to work with others. He says, don't be haughty, which means don't be proud. Don't be conceited. When you are, and I are conceited, we're living in like life is all about me and I'm the center of the universe and everybody ought to center themselves on me and what I want. It says instead, associate with the lowly, that means humble. Now humility doesn't mean that you talk bad about yourself. What it means is that you recognize and live that life isn't all about you. So in that way, when we're humble, we're self-forgetful. We're focused on others. And Jesus is the perfect picture of humility. If there's anybody in the world who ever deserved to be put on a pedestal, it is Jesus. Because he's God the Son. He was perfect. Yet what did he do? 
he got down with people. He's known for loving the unlovely and enjoying being with them. He was not self-focused. He was other-focused. And then verse 18, we're told, if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You and I should recognize that you and I cannot guarantee peace in a circumstance, in a situation. I like the word shalom from the Hebrew because it includes peace, but it also has the idea of health and wholeness. You and I can't guarantee peace amongst a group, but we can contribute to it. And that's what we're being called to do. Then verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal. God wants us to do willing self-sacrifice and He doesn't want us to be half-hearted about it. He wants us to give. Verses 12 and 15, talking about rejoicing in hope and rejoicing with those who rejoice, really don't need any explanation today. What we're seeing here is that we're commanded to love and we're seeing this in these verses, very specific ways to choose to love others. And there's a couple of different ways we can respond. One is we can sigh. We can grit our teeth and say, okay, God, you said I have to, to love others, so I guess I will. But I'm only doing it because you told me to. Okay, that's one way to respond. The other one is to remember 1 John 4, that you and I love others because God first loved us. And as we think, and I think Jesse talked about this a little bit earlier, thinking about the ways that God does us good, agape love grows in us as you and I see all the ways that God has loved us in the past, all the ways that He's loving us now. So we can choose to take the time to remember how God loves us and to celebrate God's love for us and to be grateful and to thank Him. It's interesting that one of the key words in Romans 1 about the people who rebel against God, that they are not thankful. And we can remember and celebrate God's goodness. And as we do, that agape love grows in us and that desire to copy God grows in us as we think about how God has loved us. As we begin to do good to others, Again, that, that desire grows for us to choose to love others, choose to do good. And as we do that, we're copying God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. Thank you that you loved us first, that you give us your spirit, that you enable us to love others. You want us to copy you, to copy the good that you do, how you care for people, knowing that as we look realistically at ourselves, you chose to love us. We were not lovely. We were your enemies. Yet you chose to love us and you're changing us through that love. Lord, we ask that you'd use us in the lives of others, that you would love others through us. And we thank you that you'll do this. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.